Listening to Food Chain, presented by Perfy. A big thank you to this episode's sponsor, Triple Whale. Triple Whale's powerful analytics platform clarifies your ad performance across channels, keeping you instantly in the know. Hit the link in the show notes and use promo code Perfy for 15% off today. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Food Chain, presented by Triple Whale. Today we have Stu Davidoff from Gigantic with us. Welcome to the show, Stu. Hey Basa, thanks for having me. Of course, man. Stu, let's start with uh, what you did before Gigantic and how you got to where you are today. Uh, sure thing. So um, I guess there's like two parts to this story. I'll give you the big picture, like what I was doing. And then there's sort of the, the origin story of Gigantic. I'm a New Yorker, born in Brooklyn, spent most of my life in New York. I was after college working in different jobs in the financial world, bounced around a bit. I worked at a software company for a little bit. What I was doing sort of immediately before Gigantic, I was in the same job for about 10 years. It was it was a financial job and without getting into sort of like esoteric details of finance, what I usually say to people is that it was like playing a complex video game. I'd sit at my desk, six computer screens with flashing lights and things changing and all sorts of information. And, uh, you know, I'd go into work and play the game. Obviously, there's a period of learning to play the game. But over the course of 10 years, I was pretty good at playing that game. It was it was, um, it was was really fun. I, I liked the people I worked with. But... Um, you know, after playing like the same video game, whether it's Fortnite or, or this more sophisticated game I was playing, it just gets a little repetitive and monotonous. And I had an urge to do something else of my life. And uh, I'm a person who's pretty been pretty obsessed with food and drink for a long time. Yeah, I've heard other people on your podcast say like they grew up in a, in a house where like their parents worked in the restaurant industry, the food industry, or their 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 parents made this super healthy food, this really interesting thing. And I didn't. I ate a lot of junk food as a kid. You know, I was just a normal suburban kid. I was born in Brooklyn, but then I grew up in the suburbs in New York. I had a very normal suburban life. I had certain normal suburban kid food, no special food background. But when I moved to New York, I got really into food, like into the restaurant scene here. It just got, you know, just, just super into it. There was, you know, this ridiculous, not to get too far off on a tangent, ridiculous game that my girlfriend and I played at the time. We, lo- we loved just exploring all the restaurants around New York. And there was this thing called the Zagat God. I don't know if it even exists anymore or if you ever heard of it in LA, but it was like this little book before everything was online. And it had like these reviews that they compiled from people who'd submit reviews to this got guide about all the restaurants in New York. So we used to play this um, play this little game where, you know, we'd read the description, like we were this got summary of a, of a restaurant without saying the name. The other person would sort of name the restaurant. We were that, mm. that into it, sort of dorky, foodie, inside stuff. And when I was leaving that job, the sort of financial, playing the video game job after 10 years, I was pretty obsessed with coffee and tea um, at the time. And I decided after also, you know, playing a video game for that long, I wanted to do something more tangible. I wanted to like create something, put something real into the world. And that also sort of combined my obsession with food and beverage. I decided to work on an RTD coffee and tea line. You know, I made a lot of progress on it. It sort of got off the ground. We got at the point of, I had a brand, I had bottles, labels, everything. I did a production run at a co-packer and um, it just wasn't up to the quality that we had targeted and expected, and we sort of trashed it and just realized the process that the co-packer was running was never gonna was never gonna work out for what we were trying to do. So it was sort of back to the drawing board on that. A lot, as you know, in startups trying to get something off the ground, a lot of a lot of roller coaster up and down sort of thing. There's more to that story. There's another sort of up and down in that. But there was a day when during the process of that, trying to develop that beverage line, 
I knew it was going to be a while before sort of the next shot of really making the product. And um, I was sitting at my kitchen table eating a salad. And uh, at the end of my salad, it was, uh, if you're sort of a healthy person, you probably eat a lot of salads. But sometimes like at the end of the salad, you're like, I need something else. So I, I had a dark chocolate bar. And um, that was sort of my go-to. I was eating my square of dark chocolate. And I was just thinking like, you know, I live in New York City. I've been eating, cooking, eating restaurants, getting takeout in New York for so long. You pretty much get anything you want. You could pretty much have a new food experience anytime you want. And um, I was sitting there with this dark chocolate bar thinking like, this isn't really what I want. What I really want is a candy bar. And that's strangely something that doesn't exist for me. The reason it didn't exist for me was because of course they exist. You know, tons of candy bars exist. And I was a kid who was obsessed with candy bars when I grew up. Like there's nothing better to me than a Snickers bar. And, um, but the reason why it didn't exist for me anymore is like, you know, like a lot of other adults, you know, two things happened. My palate changed. I didn't like stuff as super sweet as sort of like traditional candy bars are. And in addition to that, I didn't want to put 25, 30 grams of sugar in my body, like all at once in a few bites. There was just no candy bar that existed at the time. And there's tons of candy bar surrogates out there. And that's what I was eating. I was eating just a dark chocolate bar. People eat protein bars, granola bars, whatever. But I think what a lot of those people really want is um, what they used to eat as a kid, which was you know an actual candy bar. So it sort of just struck me as strange that it didn't exist, that I could step out my door in New York and pretty much have any food experience I wanted and that would taste awesome to me. And I couldn't do that for a candy bar. Given that I had this experience developing you know, this beverage line, learned some things and made some mistakes and knew something about creating food and beverage products, I was like, you know, why don't I just try this? And um, I got fired up about it, started working on it right away. I guess that's where it all came from. Got it. That's, um, let's unpack a little bit of that. What time frame was this? That day uh, was in October 2017. Um, I can go back to the email I shot off to someone <laughs> to nail, oh, yeah. nail down that exact date. But it was one of the other reasons why I think a candy bar came to mind. It was getting close to Halloween. And uh, I have kids and was thinking about the bags of candy they'd bring back also and be like, I don't even want any of that crap. Not that it's crap. That Those Snickers, you know, nothing but love and respect for Snickers. There's nothing I lived for more as a kid than Snickers. And there's still tons of people who, who love those. And those are the OG candy bars. And that's what inspired Gigantic. But there, there's not much in a bag of Halloween candy that my kids would bring back that I would want to eat these days. Yeah, I hear that. So 2017 is when this starts percolating in, in your head and you start getting after it probably with R&D as a financial background. By the way, I've never heard anyone describe uh, finance as a video game, dude, but more power to you if that's a video game for me. It is kind of summit Mount Everest for me. <laughs> there's so many, you know, the financial world is pretty big. So there's so many specialties and esoteric things you can do. And, you know, there's people who do more real world stuff in the financial world, taking a company public or, or whatever is that's real. It's tangible. You're providing a service to society and doing something in the economy. But yeah, that I don't make any bones about it. What I was doing was more like a game every day. All right, we'll, we'll go with it. Finance is a video <laughs> game for Stu. Uh, so did you start with you know some ideas of flavors? Did you start with what a, a financial model would look like to make you know healthy candy bars? What did those first few no. months look like? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. It, it, it is a little bit of a strange path that I took because I have a financial background. I also have an MBA. I didn't really approach it as a business. So I went from sort of my adult obsession, which was coffee and tea, to trying to create my childhood obsession was was a candy bar, just a more grown-up version of it. But I treated these things as sort of um, creative projects, works of art. Like I just wanted to put something really beautiful 
out into the world that I thought would be beautiful and that would, I thought other people would, would enjoy and make them happy as well. I didn't approach it from the idea of, would this be a good business? If you look at the confectionery business, especially something with chocolate and know what I know today about it and say, would this be a good business? There's no way you'd start it. You just wouldn't. <laughs> chocolate is just something that, you know, one reason it's so delicious is um, aside from the taste, the melting point of chocolate is close to your body temperature. It just sort of melts in your mouth, right? And that creates all sorts of problems for handling it, for shipping it, <laughs> for shelf life and all sorts of things. It's a very finicky product and expensive. And, and to make a candy bar as well, there's a reason why there's so many just plain old sort of like solid chocolate bars in the market. Those are called sort of molded. You just sort of pour the chocolate into a mold and maybe you throw some nuts in or something else and it just sort of solidifies. That's very easy and fast to make. The thing that, that I create with Gigantic is a sort of like caramel filling that's then covered in chocolate. And that's a whole other time-consuming, intensive process. And um, so if I knew all those things and looked at it with sort of like a hard, cold business lens, I, I never would have started this. So you almost have to not to be as inspired as I was and enthusiastic and obsessed and put as much energy into it as I did, you almost have to not not know how difficult a business it is. And um, I guess it wasn't a business analysis. I was just you know really inspired to do it. And I think your part of your question was like where the flavors come from. So when I started the project and R and D, I set out a few goals for it, and um, which I touched on earlier, which is this candy bar has to appeal to me and someone like me. And the main there was a few main things that I wanted, which was the sweetness had to be way toned down versus like where a Snickers is and even where a lot of things on the shelves in Whole Foods are. Like there's plenty of things in Whole Foods today that are zero sugar, that are keto or whatever. And there's still the sweetness is just pumped way back up with whatever, you know, alternative sweeteners being used in that product. So it was number one, the sweetness to me had to be toned down so I could taste other things in the candy bar. I want to taste high quality dark chocolate. I want to taste the nuts. I want to taste what other spices or whatever you're using in there. So the sweetness had to be toned down and just the absolute grams of sugar had to be at a reasonable level. Like I didn't set out to make a zero sugar product. It's not a keto product, but it has to be a product where a healthy, you know, ish person like me flips over the label and says, oh, that's fine. And for me, that mental threshold was under 10 grams of sugar. If I saw someone with single grams of sugar on a candy bar, that's going to be delicious. It looks fun and delicious. I'm going to enjoy that's fine with me. I'm not a keto person or someone who's looking for zero sugar. I'm just looking to make the most delicious candy bar. If there's a way we could have done it with zero sugar, maybe we would have, but there's a lot of reasons why real sugar plays a role in a really delicious candy bar. And then some of the, you know, one of the other goals for me was to make it completely plant-based. I'm someone who grew up with lactose intolerance. So I've avoided dairy a lot of my life. And as time's gone on, I've become more and more of a plant-based eater. And I really think anyone who's starting a new food business today, just knowing what we know now about modern agriculture, animal agriculture, how animals are treated, all this sort of stuff. I think it's like it's incumbent on anyone who's making a new food product to avoid animal products in every way possible. It's just time for humanity to move on from making things out of animals. It's my personal opinion. That was another goal for Gigantic was to avoid almost all candy bars or maybe dairy, some of them with eggs, just to avoid all the animal products completely. And of course, make it super delicious. And so the first prototype being inspired by Snickers, having that be my favorite candy bar as a kid. And what sort of, you know, if Snickers didn't exist, Gigantic wouldn't exist. I wanted to make something that was similar to Snickers. I didn't, I didn't want to set out to make something that was like, oh, here's a little healthier version of a Snickers bar. It's not what Gigantic's about. But I wanted to have a flavor that was familiar enough for people when they looked at our sort of lineup, they'd be like, oh, that one sounds familiar to me. I'm going to try that one. So that one's our salted peanut flavor, pretty wow. down the middle of the road. You know, My caramel. favorite one. 
Yeah, so. caramel, peanuts, you know, dark chocolate, a little sprinkle of sea salt. And that's a lot of our fans say this reminds me of a, of a grown-up Snickers or an adult Snickers or whatever. My goal for Gigantic to be sort of a more unique and grown-up brand, not this isn't just like I said, like a copy of some existing traditional product. We also wanted to have some unique flavors. So we started once we had nailed that salted peanut, and it wasn't a foregone conclusion that we could do this, that we could make a candy bar that was less sweet, that was under 10 grams of sugar, that was completely plant-based. I mean, making a candy bar like caramel filling for a candy bar completely plant-based is that was not easy R and D. I mean, those things are <laughs> those things are made from dairy and sugar. That's the way you make it. So we had to replace a lot of sugar and all the dairy with other stuff. It took a long time. I, like I said, I shot that email off in 2017. The R&D took forever. Of course, we had the pandemic as well. We ended up launching it January 2021 with a lot of other hiccups along the way. You know, so the other flavors were like, let's do some stuff that's a little more sophisticated and a little more unique. So I think our initial flavor lineup was uh, salted peanut, almond horchata, hazelnut cafe, and banana pecan. We launched a couple of seasonal flavors our first year. We did Smashing Pumpkin for Halloween and Double Dark Mint for the winter. Gotcha. Let me jump in real quick. Going back to the sort of sweet thing where you like things to be made from better ingredients. You've got your guardrails that are plant-based, lower sugar, delicious. How did you arrive at that aside from personal preference? I know uh, you work with some folks that like a uh, big shout out. So actually, I won't say his name just in case you're keeping that low key. And he might be the secret ingredient, but you know who I'm talking about, uh, initials ML. But how did you guys arrive at that assumption? I think it's a good one. And you see it a lot in beverage. You know, there's people that create sparkling waters in my world that aren't too flavor forward. They're different, but they're not extremely sweet at all. Did you look at other industries or what got you there? Well, the coffee and tea project brand that I was working on beforehand was based on the same philosophy. And it's just based on sort of my palate, which is that I love coffee and tea straight, but I also love it if it's combined with just a tiny amount of a, of a sort of unique and complex sweetener. So I had this philosophy where, where we're, you know, so I have the same philosophy going into gigantic where is the question like, how did we sort of pinpoint that sweetness level or why? What are you trying what, to throw so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there were insights aside from personal preference that got you to make something that's not zero sugar, but that's lower sugar and tastes as delicious as the real thing. Yeah, I'm not. It, it was more just an, it was my personal preference. Yeah, some people I worked with who had that same personal preference and just sort of intuition. And it was just like I said before, this is just sort of a, a creative project. It, it might have been doomed to fail. Like I didn't have any specific sort of large-scale consumer insight. Obviously, people want zero sugar. Like That's obvious. People want less sugar. People want zero sugar. In terms of whether they want something that's typically really sweet, do they want that sweetness toned down? It's hard to say. Like I go out to bars in New York, you often hear people asking for like, how sweet is that cocktail? Like You just hear it sort of in the air. Like I don't want something that sweet. What's the driest white wine in the menu? It's sort of a question you, you hear a lot around New York. So it's sort of just like out there. Like I have this feeling that it's not just me. I always hear people asking, like, is that going to be too sweet? It was just sort of a leap of faith that there'd be, be lots of people who would be you know, into a candy bar that wasn't as sweet as well. And it's not just not as sweet. It's like the sweetness level in anything, whether it's soda, candy bar, whatever, you know, it blitzes out pretty much everything else like on your palate. So when you're eating, if you were to eat a, like a traditional candy bar, like a Snickers versus a gigantic side by side, you'd realize that the things you taste in the traditional candy bar is pretty much just milk and sugar at this point. You barely even taste like the, the cocoa um, or the chocolate because the sweetness is so strong. So it was desired to also just have this more complex, you know, flavor experience when you're eating something, you know, eating something sort of like 
a little bit juvenile and basic as a candy bar, but also to elevate it to this more sophisticated sort of flavor experience by toning down the sweetness. I think it's a, a smart assumption that you made and, and a, an awesome preference because, I mean, there's tons of people. I, I used to work in the bar industry before I started my career at Quest, and people always wanted to split their drinks with soda water. I do it all the time. Whenever I travel, if I'm having a, a cocktail, I ask if they're using simple syrup. I can't stand simple syrup. And I ask them to split my Moscow mules with a little soda water because sometimes the ginger beer is a little too a little too sweet for me. So I get it. I was just wondering if there was any sort of like official data that you leveraged to make it or if it was just a personal preference. And it sounds like it was a personal preference. Yeah, pretty much working in a sort of data vacuum <laughs> up to this point. Yeah. yeah. Want to jump into something else that you mentioned because you were talking about plant base and how that was one of your guardrails. And this is more just a frustration of mine with the industry in general. People often make plant-based products, but I'm thinking towards more of the gummies right now, like the delicious fruity gummies. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I find that vegan or plant-based is a huge, huge point of difference and call out for some of these better for you gummies. But part of the reason why people that are lactose intolerant hate dairy, like ones that can't have it, but two, it's the impact that it has on their stomach. It's not a good day forward if somebody that's lactose intolerant has dairy. But what I find so interesting is that some of the better for you gummies use sweeteners. Some of them are maltitol or, but there are things that impact the stomach. So for me, if I want to have a delicious bag of fruity gummies with zero grams of sugar, I'm not lactose intolerant. I do appreciate that it's plant-based and the gelatin is not made from pork remains, but they replace that. Well, they don't necessarily replace the gelatin with it, but they use sweeteners that are just so bad for your stomach and it hurts your stomach just as if it would if you're eating dairy and you're lactose yeah. intolerant. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's a couple of things you touched on there. Well, one is like gummies are usually made with gelatin, which is made from animals. So one of the big things in making a vegan gummy is to make it without the gelatin. And then you're talking about sort of zero sugar. You know, gummies are mostly gelatin and sugar. So you're changing the gelatin for something and you're changing the sugar for something else. Not that I'm a gummy person. That's about my extent of my knowledge. But yeah, some of these sweeteners and it, you know, all these sweeteners and all these fibers or whatever that are used when you're replacing the bulk and the sugar in something, you're often replacing it with something that is um, simple sugar, something very, very easy to digest and <laughs> it spikes your, your blood sugar and the things you replace it with are not, sometimes they're not things you digest as well. And some people are sensitive to them. And I think, you know, what I'd say is flip over the back. You've got to figure out which things your body is okay with and which it's not. Sometimes flip over the back of the label and see if it's got, if this little bag or whatever, this little bar has like 25 grams of fiber, that might be a red flag or just to be careful when you eat that thing. That's a lot of like maybe unusual or new fiber for your body in one, one serving. <laughs> so something we, we try to moderate and gigantic as well is to just be careful about that stuff. Yeah, it's a funny one. Um, you find it in the keto products where I'm in a bunch of different keto groups on Facebook and I started joining them back when I was at Quest. And one of the funniest things is when you see like a Hershey's bag of like kisses and they're all, it says like sugar free and people are raving over it. Like, I can't believe this is real. And then you'll just see comments like RIP to your butt or something. Like that. It's just like the, <laughs> like the funniest shit yeah. that comes up. And you know, there's, I guess there's trade-offs. And in the past I've seen that, you know, you can make a better for you product and it could taste like cardboard and people were okay with it just because it had better macros for them. And what I'm seeing as time progresses is when you make a better for you product, you have to have a very minimal gap between flavor and macros. Like if at Quest, one of the reasons I think we were so successful with cookie dough was that it tasted like cookie dough in a bar form and the bridge or, or the gap between eating actual cookie dough and cheating on your diet or eating a Quest cookie dough bar 
it was the same thing, but one of them had just minimal impact on metabolism. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I, I agree. There was a day and, uh, you know, I've been a health food, you know, now as a food shopper for a long time. And there was definitely back in the day, you'd accept a lot of flavor trade-offs and sacrifices and really don't have to anymore. There's so much innovation and so many entrepreneurs doing amazing, like, you know, amazing new food products that you can find all sorts of delicious, better for you stuff now. It's pretty cool seeing all these things, you know, come to market that are delicious, that have solid ingredients. There's still going to be some that have ingredients that are wrecking your stomach, but um, it's good to see so many different options these days. But I want to jump to a, a couple of things. We talked about a couple of your limited edition flavors, Smashing Pumpkin and Double Dark Mint. I want to get to that. But before we do, I want to talk about how you came up with the name Gigantic. Can you tell us that story? Sure. You know, I guess the little background is... um I'm Gen X, and uh, Gen X was the last generation that was born into a completely analog world. So I was one of those people as a kid where I'd go over. My parents had a record player; like their music was on records. I had cassettes. Then I saw, you know, you know, then we had the innovation of the CD. I saw all this happening, and I was really into music. And I wanted sort of this brand to have not just sort of that digital millennial feel to it, but also some of an analog feel. I wanted the brand to be a bit of an expression of myself and my obsession of candy bars and also a time in my life when I when I was eating candy bars, which was when things weren't fully digital. And we started developing the products and there was a point I was working with some really awesome branding design people in Brooklyn and um, they refused to name the brand. I had a working name for the brand. I knew it wasn't good enough. And uh, I think we all felt like it, it wasn't good enough. You know, there came a point where like we can't really push forward on the design until you name the brand and they refused to do it i think what the partner at the design agency said he, he had ptsd from trying to name brands in the past like they would try to name them the client would be unhappy and reject it or they'd hire some outside naming person and the same thing would happen he's like ultimately the client just has to name it or or you're just taking a big gamble so locked myself in my um apartment one weekend just like i got it it was sort of like a deadline i'm a bit of a procrastinator so i was like man we're just gonna fall behind schedule unless i name this thing i locked myself in my apartment one weekend i think i downloaded a couple ebooks on naming a brand <laughs> like 20 page guide to name your brand i think i've read something called like don't name it that you know mm -hmm. these little like how-to type of things i'm like i got some basic understanding <laughs> of how to name something and just locked myself in there i was just like looking for any inspiration you know, I was just having uh, dreams. I'd fall asleep at night that weekend, just thinking of names, wake up in the morning thinking names. And I was in my little home office, tiny little closet type thing in New York City. In this cabinet, I have like all these old CDs from that I collected all my life. And um, I was like, oh man, I do really feel like, you know, candy bar and, and music has some sort of connection. They're both really just sort of beautiful things that give you pleasure. Um, if you think about them that way, that's how I think about them. Of course, I'm a little bit deranged when it comes to candy bars, but I was looking through all my old CDs for any inspiration I came across my old Pixies albums, just looking through the songs. And I was, I was like, Gigantic, that is definitely it. But I was pretty sure when I saw Gigantic that there's no way we get that trademark. So I just sort of like spent the rest of the weekend coming up with other stuff and, and um, Gigantic stayed at the top of the list. And, you know, there was a couple of reasons why I really thought Gigantic was it when I saw it. That is because, you know, it was really from a Pixie song. That was one of my favorite Pixie songs of that era. You know, probably my absolute favorite. When I was in college, the Pixies were probably my favorite band in college. Went to college called Amherst College, which was in the same town as uh, UMass, which is where founders of the Pixies met. So there was sort of this legendary band in our area. I was a huge fan. And uh, so it was awesome to be able to name the brand after, you know, something from another aspect of my life that I really loved. But I really loved the idea of having this name gigantic on a little candy bar, which sort of doesn't make sense at all. 
it just sort of invites you to ask the question, like, what else is going on here, right? Like, this thing is not gigantic. So what is going on here? And that's, you know, part of the contradiction of the product. So it's a candy bar that's not super sweet, which is a contradiction. It's a candy bar that's not super junky, which is also a contradiction. And just like the name, you know, gigantic on a little bars is a contradiction. It all just sort of really worked for me. And in addition to being sort of a fun, loud name, like when I brought it to the um, branding firm, this is after actually, you know, like running it through a trademark you know, attorney and getting like good news that we thought we could get it, which I was absolutely shocked about. But um, when I brought it to them, I'm like, this thing needs to read like, like a tabloid headline. And that was like the vibe that I wanted. And of course, you know, they took it from there and made absolutely amazing logo. But yeah, ultimately straight from the pixies to the label. I think it's so interesting. And I, I don't think anybody knows that's listening to this, but my agency works on, on your social, but I, I do appreciate how you let us kind of play some tributes to that. I think it's important for uh, you know how a brand gets its name to kind of have fun with it in in different uh, formats, whether it's organic, social, email, whatever. But that's extremely fun, and I just wanted everyone in the audience to know that that's where it comes from. Yeah, it's fun. Like when you're all off duty, you now I get to do sort of like reposting of stories in the weekend. I always go back to like the '90s music, and uh... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you guys are probably cringing when you come back on Monday or see them, but that's what I'll tend to do. Not at all. I think it's fun. And the best part about being a founder is you can choose whatever the hell music you want. <laughs> um, let's dive into the, the the limited edition flavors, specifically Smashing Pumpkin. I think this is an awesome story that I want everyone to hear about on how you were allowed to name it that. Yeah. You know, we launched GDC. It was the middle of the pandemic. It wasn't really gigantic. wasn't really a product that I imagined for GDC. I wanted it to be in retail, but we didn't really have any retail sales effort or any retail presence because of when we launched. But I did get lots of incoming DMs on Instagram or emails from people who had seen us or found us or whatever. We'd been written up in the food press a little bit when we launched, so we got some attention. One of the stores that asked for the product was um, this tea shop called Madame Zuzu's outside of Chicago, which happens to be uh, co-owned or owned by Billy Cork and the Smashing Pumpkins and run by his partner, Chloe Mandel. So they um they had asked for the product. They're a vegan. Billy Corgan's, I think they're both vegan and asked to carry it to stock gigantic, which was awesome. I was super psyched to be in in Madame Zuzu's. And when it came time to um make a seasonal flavor, I want to do a pumpkin flavor, but I don't want to really do anything that's cliche or tired with gigantic. It's you know, it's a unique new candy bar brand. I really didn't want to call it pumpkin spice. And um I wanted to come up with, you know, a more fun name for it. So um yeah, Smashing Pumpkin was an idea I had and, um, you know, approached Chloe and said, you know, are you okay with us, you know, calling this bar Smashing Pumpkin? And she's like, yeah, I mean, we have like licensing things we do with the name, to use the name Smashing Pumpkins, but, you know, for you, go ahead and do it. I know you're just like a small brand. We love your product. We want to support you and let us know how it goes. And um, I got the first bars done and sent them right over to Chloe right away. She loved them. And we actually launched it. They do a lot of stuff at Madame Zuzu's in, in October, obviously, association with Smashing Pumpkins. So Billy Port Corgan was doing some uh, like acoustical concert series in Madame Zuzu. It's also like a small performance space where just sort of acoustical concert. Sometimes he's just there playing whatever instrument. <laughs> and um, so we launched it in Madame Zuzu's with um, a performance. We weren't the exclusive sort of like thing being featured. It was just happened to be that weekend when Billy Corgan was in performance and everyone had sort of Smashing Pumpkin bars on their seats. That's how we uh, launched the flavor. And obviously, you know, one of the highlights of <laughs> of the experience so far is being able to do something like that. And back to the 90s and the Smashing Pumpkins also being one of my favorite bands. Just what can I say? That's like, there's so many things beyond just running running a business and having 
success, you know, as a business that are sort of meaningful. And that was just super awesome for me. You think you'll ever have a mayonnaise flavor since they have a song called mayonnaise? Actually, mayonnaise may be my favorite Smashing Pumpkin song. I, I, I made this like 90s after school playlist that was sort of like the, the gigantic playlist of mayonnaise is on it. Maybe spicy mayo, spicy mayo candy bar. That mm, can work. Chipotle mayo. Tempura Delicious. Flakes. Yeah. So a little tempura sprinkle on top. A savory candy bar. That would be a first. I mean, or Bora just launched a green bean casserole sparkling water. And I think it's so freaking awesome. Like, phone, they're crazy over there. And I, I love how they executed. We never yeah. know. It might be a hit. Could be something. Something we're going to do in the future is more when we can get to this point. It should be soon. But um, some more wacky limited edition flavors. Obviously, a pumpkin, pumpkin sort of flavors is uh is not too shocking. But, you know, our version of it was a little bit different and fun. But we might do some some more shocking flavors in the future. Do you think, you don't have to answer this one, but will there be different formats or will you continue leaning into the current candy bar size? Yeah. Well, we're a candy bar brand. I don't want to get too spread thin. It's what we focus on. But, you know, the size, you know, the size, it's funny to have a bar our size called Gigantic. You know, I think when we first launched TDC, we, got, we had a few complaints. Like I thought I was getting this this massive oversized candy bar most people get it but there's always this few who don't <laughs> i think there are people who said like can you make a smaller size and there's especially i think a demand for like you know halloween or parties or whatever to have something that's like a smaller size and it's probably something we'll do in the future you know i'm a solo founder i run, I run this company by myself obviously there's people like you all or gb helping me on social media and there's a lot of great people who are you know around me working as you know agencies or consultants or whatever but it's still like, a, you know, I run it by myself and fund it by myself. And you probably know a lot goes into these things behind the scenes. So making a smaller size, I think will be awesome at some point. But for now, I just want to focus on really perfecting and dialing in what we're doing on the bars. I still want to push you to do the most, uh, like a Guinness Book of World Records, largest candy bar in the world. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, look it up and let me know how big it needs to be. We'll see. Let's do the size of a full container I, truck. I think my co-man would actually be into it. They're really into wacky stuff. If you go into their facility, they got some. They do have some really crazy sized things in there. And um, the guy who runs the operation, my co-man, is in the the candy. I think it's the National Candy Association Hall of Fame. And um, hmm. it would just be like another legendary thing he could do. So maybe you're on to some bossa. I think we got to do it. It's got to happen. <laughs> Well, I usually end all of these episodes, or I try to at least, with a couple like watchouts or pieces of advice for other founders. You're the first candy bar. Actually, we had Zora chocolate, but they're more of like a chocolate bar, not necessarily a candy bar. We'll go with it. Do you have any watchouts for people who are in the space or any advice for them for things that you've gone through that you don't want others to go through? I mean, I ran into so many problems <laughs> since I've launched. There's definitely, I guess there's, everyone ran into supply chain. That's not unique. I think I didn't. I wasn't on top of it enough. Like when I ran into an ingredient shortage right off the bat, like when I went to go, I think I'd do my second production and I couldn't get one of my ingredients. And that's a bit of a disaster for a small brand trying to find a substitute. We had to relabel new packaging. That's very costly and it slows you down. I think that's so. I think it's one like choosing your formulas and your ingredients from the start. Try to really dig deep into like, has this ingredient ever been out of supply? Has this ingredient's price like wildly gyrated in the past? Like, how big is your supplier? You're not going to have supply contracts at your size. Like, there's big customers who have the supply contracts with all these suppliers, and they're the ones who are going to keep getting that ingredient when things go haywire, and you're not. But you can reduce your risk by figuring out, like, am I dealing with a risky ingredient? Am I dealing with a risky supplier? That was like a big watch out for me that I wasn't, that I sort of learned the hard way. It was really, you know, just a costly and difficult thing to get through. 
Yeah, that'll happen. It seems like it's happening a bunch right now. I know some beverage brands are loading up on cans, and I haven't heard too much about that shortage lately. But yeah, there's definitely ways to work around it. Well, it was a good chat, Stu. I appreciate your time. Um, I'll link to the website in the show notes. I'll link to your LinkedIn in the show notes, and um, I'll link to your step nephew uh, Pete Davidson's Instagram uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, such a great little guy. I've yeah. got to give him a call. <laughs> That's a joke. If anyone didn't get it, um, <laughs> Stu is not really uh, Pete Davidson's uncle or whatever. All right, man. Well, Stu, thanks for joining me. All right, man. Great talking to you, Vasa. Talk yeah. to you soon.